What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good afternoon. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O and host of the What to Know podcast show. I am coming to you from our uh, W2O offices in San Francisco. And I have what I think is probably going to be one of the more fun podcasts that we've done. Uh, Not that they're not all cool or fun, but I have uh, two people that are going to be on the show today. The first is a gentleman named Trevor Hubbard. He is the CEO and Executive Creative Director at Butcher Shop here in San Francisco. We'll talk more about that in a second. So welcome, Trevor. Thank you. Uh, And then we have Paulo Simas, who is my colleague and the Chief Creative Officer here at W2O, Um, a good friend. And these guys have been working together, and we're going to talk about a very cool program called the um, World's Greatest Internship. So welcome, Paulo, as well. How's it going? So... um, We'll start off with you, Trevor. I like to give a little bit of background, and I mentioned your your title at Butcher Shop. Uh, one of the things that I actually was quite surprised about, not in a bad way, but it was impressive given the fact that you all are in a you know five hundred person global shop. You have a marquee roster of clients like Nike, Facebook, the San Francisco Giants, Google, Levi's, Okta, and you've led companies like this through brand transformations, product launches, and marketing strategies. Um, so other than leveraging your dashing good looks, uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about how you've landed this work and you know, embe- um, sort of created that trust with these global brands that I think everyone would love to work with. Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I-, I always say that our agency's you know, value proposition or product offering is building trust and creating value. And so I think you know, where, um, where we've done a very good job is really putting people first. And I think the attraction for what we do has come from the startup world and the venture capital world where, you know, these companies need sparring partners in their investment life cycle. They need somebody that can move them from, you know, their series A all the way through an IPO. And, and we've just been born and raised in this, in this environment. And so it's been, you know, a helpful, a helpful way we've shaped our agency to, to, to call brand everything and be able to service that life cycle. So that's, that's what we've done in the last decade. Well, it makes sense. And clearly you're doing something right. So uh, kudos on that front. And then speaking of handsome, I mentioned him already, but uh, my colleague, Paulo Simas, you know, this is one of those instances where there's three of us in the room and I am the least handsome by a long shot, which is a little intimidating. But um, Paulo, my colleague and the chief creative officer here at W2O, Paulo, you've also had an opportunity to lead some awesome, um, you know, opportunities with clients like Disney, Medtronic, Gala, Oracle. Um, you helped launch this device called Coravin, which is a wine access device that's pretty ubiquitous now. You know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, your secrets, which are sort of part of our W2O secrets of how you've been able to break through and, and really sort of engender this trust in those clients. Oh, thanks, Aaron. Um, I think one of the first things is that we actually approach pretty much all of our challenges from almost a business lens. So we come about it from a point of view of kind of understanding what problem are we trying to solve um, versus what's the solution. We try to first identify what's the opportunity and then look at it from a point of view of almost like a CEO, from a consultant's uh, viewpoint of, you know, the brand, the story, the narrative, all the all the stuff that we're going to create is done through a almost done through a very specific lens of what business challenges do they have and how can how can our you know how can our creative and how can our you know, brands basically, you know, 
break through that noise to actually address some of those um, some of those issues. Uh, a lot of it goes back to you know not not kind of focusing on what the idea is always because the idea is a byproduct of you know of of identifying what the right questions are. Um, and I think for most of the companies that we work with, they're always coming in with something that they're trying to solve for. And I think a lot of times it's just helping them really get to that crystal, you know, truth, if you will, um, before we actually start putting solutions out into the world. Well, it makes sense. And I've certainly had the privilege of seeing a lot of it live and in person. And it's quite remarkable as it happens. As folks know that listen in on this show, I do like to find out a little bit about the guests and in doing so I do some research. Um, LinkedIn is usually one of the places that I start with. And I have to tell you, um, you know, Trevor, I had the pleasure of meeting you probably a month or two ago through our friend Mitch Schneider. Um, so shout out to Mitch. Yeah, Mitch. Yay, Mitch. Um, but the thing that was really funny, and I, I need to know if this was uh, true or not. So your first job listed on LinkedIn is that you were a bail bonds agent at ZigZag Bail Bonds. And so my question is, you know, is that just an Easter egg to find out if people are doing their homework? Um, and I, I liken that to, I, I joke back in the day, I was applying to UMass Amherst as my safety school. This was back when it was much easier to get into UMass, especially as a resident. And I put magic tricks on my resume. I still got in and I was kind of amazed by that. But is this an Easter egg or did you really work as a bail bondsman? Yeah, probably not as cool as magic tricks. We got to see those in a little bit. But um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I've always lent, you know, lived my life in a way where I'm not born and bred from traditional agency background. I didn't ever work for a large agency yet. I haven't had the fortune of doing that, but I also haven't had any bad habits formed. I've kind of had to create that on my own. So growing up as a kid, I'm a native San Franciscan. My grandfather was SFPD, um, pretty well-known cop here in San Francisco. Uh, and it was a family business. Zigzag Bail Bonds was started, you know, 40 years ago uh, by my, by my grandfather and then my dad. And, and so when all these other kids were coming back with these painstaking, shitty, well, painstaking internships, I didn't have, uh, really that in my mind. So in order to make money, I wanted to go to grad school. I wanted to figure some stuff out. So my dad said, why don't you get your bail license? And I said, okay, let's, let's do that. And so, yeah, for a year I was bailing criminals and domestic, you know, dispute offenders out of jail and, and living in my own apartment in San Francisco, if you can believe that, because that's how much you know money I was able to, to make during that time. So it was a lot of freedom, but also if I, you know, my, my bread and butter is in telling great stories and, and having that as a cultural sort of, you know, inflection point in my life was really cool to figure out how to just get down with so many different people. Cause there was white collar guys and there was guys that were, you know, not so not so white collar. Uh, so, you know, there was, it, it was, it was a great experience, but yeah, Easter egg. I put it in there because Alex Bogusky from CPB has some weird stuff on his LinkedIn at the bottom, which is like, you know, I think he was like, a, had a paper route and that's on his LinkedIn. So I thought that was cool. That's well, why I put it in there. I have to say, I've interviewed probably four or 500 people over, you know, the duration of a few different shows. And that is easily one of the most unique. And so I did like that and chuckled at that. Um, and so anyone listening in interns, you want to get a job as a CEO or executive creative director, that's one of the routes you can take. Um, I do like to ask people, you know, unique things about themselves and that lent itself to this. Paulo, I do want to turn to you and this will be a tricky one, especially since I know quite a bit about you since we've spent a lot of time together professionally and our families live near each other in case people, you know, are wondering what I mean by that. Um, tell us something, uh, that maybe people don't know about you that you'd be willing to share. Uh, let's see. Uh, 
how about a conversation that we can actually have here without without <laughs> without uh, getting in too much trouble? Um, well, let's see. Uh, English is not my first language. Um, most people don't know that. Uh, so um, my parents came from the Azores, uh, these little islands off of off of the coast of um, of Portugal, out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. Um, my mother and father came here right before I was born. And, you know, growing up in a Portuguese household and really not even speaking the language and going to school. And if it wasn't for these amazing Catholic nuns that spoke Spanish uh, when I was, you know, in, in the first grade, I don't, I don't know how I would have made it through. But uh, it did teach me a lot about how to communicate with people without ever having to have a word said. So you really do get to learn. Uh, a lot about, you know, kind of human interaction at a very young age, you know, even though some of the times it led to a black eye because I didn't understand someone was telling me to get the hell off the swing. Um, but, you know, look, it makes you who you are, right? And so today, you know, if it wasn't for that resilience that you have to have at a very young age, you know, I don't know if it would have shaped me any differently, but I'm I'm pretty proud to not have uh, English as my first language, actually. Well, and I have to tell you two things. One is I remember the first time I think your mom called you and we were on a business pitch and you picked up the phone and started speaking in Portuguese. And I was like, wait a sec. I knew that you had, but I didn't yeah. realize, A, you were so fluent in it. And it was funny hearing a different side of you. Um, and B, uh, it is one of those things where, you know, we'll be in business meetings or pitches and you have, you're like the king of the mixed metaphor and you self-admittedly are like, look, this is not my first language. It's horrible. Like I think Tom, one of, one of my old business partner, Tom Han, he used to keep like a, a notebook of all the things I would screw up all the time. I would say from, you know, from nuts to bolts instead of soup to nuts. And I mean, like it was like a, just, a, an ongoing, you know, onslaught of just how to bastardize every cliche in the world. And I just, you know, don't do it today, which, you know, well, you, uh, I try, How's you, that? but you, you always have a good uh, spirit about it, which is, is yeah. helpful um, with that. And I'd love to make this whole thing fun. And although I think this is going to be a fun topic because it's such a cool program. I mentioned up front that we're talking about the world's greatest internship and um, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of that. As I mentioned, uh, according to the write up on, on the site, it says it connects the world's most creative companies with young creative entrepreneurs through experiences and, you know, obviously, Trevor, you're here because you all created this entity. Paolo, you're here because we have participated as W2O and we would like to get your perspective. So let's jump in and talk a little bit about this. Um, Trevor, you know, why did you create this amazing program? And maybe we can expound on it a little bit, too, and talk more about what the beyond just those few words, what it really means. Sure. Well, first of all, with Paulo's stories, uh, I think there's there's like two or three commercials in there that like Google would want to buy. So, <laughs> you know, I think there's there's that's that's life emulating, you know, uh, art, I guess. Um, but yeah, no. So so WGI, world's greatest internship. I think um, you got to kind of look at Butcher Shop and who we are as a company to understand why we created this and why we put, you know, the financial resources and the manpower and every, you know, and the network and the relationships behind it. Um, you know, we're a small shop. We're about 32 people, um, a little more if you if you count everybody that comes in and comes out. Um, and our ethos that when we kind of took a look in the mirror um, a couple years ago, our ethos we decided was indeed truly help people. Um, if we come from that, we can build trust and we can create value. Everything else starts to make sense if you have the right mindset with your ethos. And that's very well known and, and sort of understood within our company. And we've always been a, a sponsor, partner. I've been a judge, or a, you know, an advisor and a judge. And I'm on the advisory board of San Francisco Design Week. And part of helping people is investing in your community and doing things that, you know, are right for San Francisco, are right for our creative industry and our peers, 
are right for the talent and the young people and trying to think of, you know, what are things that maybe aren't working or old and how can we do something different, right? And with the ethos of help people, last year there was an assignment, or two years ago, there was an assignment with the theme from Design Week, which was start here. Two words, that's it. And we challenged ourselves to come up with an interpretation of that and figure out what could we do that was an activation that would do something in the name of help people. So start here, help people, our ethos kind of translated. And we use those two as our strategic jumping off point. And we looked at things in our world and we said, okay, well, if one of our five P's, the things that we focus on and have to have a POV on is people, let's do something with people. Let's figure out what that is. And when we all looked in, in, in the mirror and saw each other and looked across the table, we were like, what's broken? You know, we're all in this, this, this game you know, with people and talent at the forefront of what we do. We don't survive and we don't scale and we don't grow and we certainly don't have success without people, right? So we looked at our own personal stories and we said, you know, the, the internship, that's broken. It, it, everyone tries to do it their own way. Sometimes they box check it, but, it, but it's really in service of the company where they then change the story and the narrative to be in service of the young people. But then we said, well, well, how can we make this about an experience? You know, it's one thing for an intern to go into one, one company for six months and work for either salary or credit for a school. But is that really the best way? Is that the only way? Maybe it's a way, but maybe there's other things we can do. So we put our heads together and we love expletives and we love things that are like, you know, extremes. So we said, let's use the word greatest and come up with the world's greatest internship. And what are the criteria for that? It's gotta be global. It's gotta be international. It's gotta be diverse. And we gotta figure out a way if there's a, if, if we can create, you know, a range of experiences and it can't just be butcher shop. Our culture is just one insignificant, maybe partially significant blip on someone's journey, right? So we challenged ourselves to say, can we get agencies to play nice together? You know, and, and we said pretty much in that meeting, let's put the brass tacks or the bullets of what this program should be. And, uh, and let's create something that's truly unique and give these young people an experience because what ends up happening is you go to school, you come out and there's this sort of mental health question about now where, where are, what are you going to do with your life? Are you going to go freelance? Are you going to go work at another agency? Are you going to slave for three or four internships until you get something for your book? Are you going to create your own stuff? Are you going to put yourself through more school and have more student debt? I, mean, I could go on and on and on with a laundry list. And the more that I would speak right now, the more people would in similar situations or at similar places in their life would start to feel it. And other people would probably get anxious because they have very similar experiences. So we thought we could have a positive effect in just that single sort of like blip in someone's career, which is usually from the ages of, you know, 18 to 24, right? What do you do with that? So if we could, if we could create an experience to catapult or accelerate that process and that experience, um, with no guarantee of a job, but at least, what you do with that experience saying I went around the world to six agencies or three agencies for six months and I was hand selected out of 7,000 people or whatever the number is, you better believe that it, that's your opportunity to lose if you don't turn that into something. So I think that that's sort of what, what happened and that's the genesis of WGI. So we're in well, our second year now, so it's kind of cool. Well, that's amazing. And I actually would like to drill down on something you said with Paolo. And that is that it is rare that you get agencies to, uh, you know, work sort of collectively, especially because there is competition. I think ours with yours are less so. You focus more more on uh, tech and consumer. We're more on healthcare. But it's still, there's always ego and there's always like, why would we, you know, um, collaborate? I have noticed, by the way, and this is through Carolyn Gargano on your team, Paolo, 
that there has been more, particularly on the creative side, because I think there is this, I don't know, there's this like passion for one another in the space and understanding that shared goal. So the question before I ramble on too long is, you know, we chose to participate, you chose to participate, um, you took a little bit of a risk, you know, why, what was your thinking and, and how did you get talked into doing this? Uh, for, oh, first of all, I don't know if I was talked into doing it because I just, the first time I heard about it, I thought it was like, shit, that's cool, right? And why I thought it was cool was because um, I have, to, as you know, I have four kids, but two of them are musicians. And I actually associated a lot of what Trevor's vision for this was to the music industry. Um, because if you look at what's happening in that space, it's an entire industry based on collaboration. Um, everybody's working together. Everybody's on each other's albums. Everybody's singing together. Why? To create better, bigger, more, more interesting um, music and songs that they couldn't have done by themselves. And I just, when I was talking with Trevor and Ian at the, at the onset of this, it was more like, well, why couldn't we do the same thing as creatives? I mean, like, what are we really afraid of? Is it ego? Is it competition? Is it somewhere in between those two things? And if we're really doing this for the betterment of others that are going to come into, you know, come into this space, come into this industry, why would we put, you know, any sort of, um, you know, kind of ego barrier for, you know, to get in that way? So when we started looking at participating, it was not just to be a part of it, but to really help shape it and say, okay, are there, are there, is there even something bigger here, which is a true collaboration of these entities to come and actually solve something. So if you took uh, a topic, a theme, uh, something that is culturally relevant, like for example, gun violence, or you know, keep going down the list, um, and said like, if you have three agencies that came together and said, we're gonna go do something that we normally would have never done, and you do it through this lens of these interns who are going from one to the next to the next, you have, you have creative talent now actually shaping and working together that never would have done that only with one thing in mind to create impact right of some kind now whether that's personal impact at the intern level or where that's societal impact at the at the creative level um but once you start working in an environment like that then you start to realize you can start tearing down walls on you know across the board and again you can look across not just music but pretty much all industries out there if we don't start working together i mean nothing's ever going to get solved so no, it's true. And I guess I want to stay on that talk, topic with you, and then we'll get Trevor's take on this. Um, we were sort of joking before we get started that with kids, and Trevor, you're mentioning your son wants to be a YouTube star, and just how everything has changed with the internet landscape and all the social publishing tools we have and just what a different world it is. You know, one of the things that um, is changing rapidly across every walk of life is this emerging talent landscape, right? Not only the people, but the environment they're going out into, you know, Trevor, you mentioned, like, it's hard to break through. Let's talk a little bit about what you're seeing and how that shifted. I mean, you've been in the business, what, 25, 30 years. How has that shifted over that time and maybe even more so over the last three or four years? Uh, everybody's gotten better. Period. Yeah, I've noticed that yeah, across I mean, like, the board. It's the, amazing. The, the, if it doesn't, it, again, we're doing this through the lens of, you know, a, you know, a, you know, a creative industry. Uh, but if you look across just everything, talent is just better. And I think it's access to technology, tools, schools have gotten better. Um, you know, there's just, you know, when we were, when we were looking through the, um, you know, all the resumes and all the portfolios and all the books, it was like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. So it was really hard to stand out because there was so much good talent to be great now was you had to be 
X, there, you, you needed that X factor now. And that X factor was something that um, when we were, when you, when, uh, when Trevor and the team actually did the launch, we had uh, a panel discussion with, you know, about a hundred or so interns there. And one of the questions was, how do you stand out, right? How do you actually break through? And I said, it was interesting because when you're flipping through hundreds of portfolios, I mean, hundreds at a time, you can almost stop instantly when you see somebody who has artistic DNA versus being taught how to be artistic. That's different. Like there's just that one thing that they have that school didn't give them. The, 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 one, the one assignment during class didn't teach them. The one professor was never able to break through on, but man, does it shine. And I would say like just the sheer volume of, of that level is, is still on the rise. But I mean, to stand out today, you do have to have that little bit of that extra something. Trevor, anything you'd add to that? Yeah, I, uh, I think technology is a good litmus test or a good sort of indication about how fast things move. Um, creative talent today to us, they're, they're auteurs, right? They sort of can, can animate something, build something, think strategically, you know, go find something on the internet, don't know how to make that motion, go find something that, or that'll teach them. Everything is there. Your school, your, your, your programs, your libraries, your resources, your communities with Behance and other ones. I mean, people just are constantly competitive and comparing themselves. And like, I think Paula, one of the things that you said, which was great is you can see people who are in the game and then you can see people who love the game. And that has stuck with me since the time you said that on the panel. And you can definitely see that. And you can definitely see who's in this for the love of the game because the majority of the things in young people are just projects that they just felt compelled to do. And you can see it. I mean, congratulations to Jessica Walsh on her and Walsh, you know, uh, agency she launched. But one of the things that she did was to prevent burnout was she created five or six of her own initiatives that had impact, that she wanted to have impact, and created those which put her on the map globally, you know. And that's the kind of thing where not everyone's going to be here. She's, you know, a rare gem. But like the idea is, is that everyone has the ability to do that. But I think what's missing is the thinking, the the IQ and the EQ of the business thinking and the work that we do. Um, you know, we're a full service creative agency, and one of the things that we have to do is think about full service in the sense that we have to have at least represented in our thinking all facets of that definition, right? And I think that's what's missing a lot is what they don't teach in schools is is how to think strategically about business and how to, you know, understand what shortcuts mean and how to do things more efficiently, how to work with others, have empathy, how to prevent burnout, how to, you know, work with clients. You said, you know, this business would be great if you didn't have clients, right? But that's nothing that we want to necessarily say is a good we, thing we or love promote. You clients. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like, you know, we, we love clients, but it's, it's you know, they, they put restrictions on. And that's ultimately yeah. a good thing because it forces you to do it within the confines of something versus just doing something that might be crazy and out there. And so I would argue it actually makes you better as a creator. Absolutely. And, and what, what I mean, what, what, what's really intentional behind that is the fact that lack of clarity breeds drama. And most of the problems that we face with clients is just lack of alignment and surprises. And so it's just our job, and you can't really teach that. You have to go through it. It's our job to get out in front of that. This, the work that we do and young people do, and, and it, this is their second job. This is the client's second job. They're not here to do what we do. So a lot of it is how do we you know, move them through the process. And that's the kind of stuff that takes 
a lot of learning. And that's the thing that I think immersing yourself in, you know, with WGI, one of the things that's really compelling is we don't just go and tap agencies, you know, that are all over the, you know, that are just open, have their doors open. I mean, these are the best agencies in the world. And they're that way, not because they, you know, have a couple higher ups that have all the client relationships and they were one undone on a couple projects like Nike or something like these are great cultures. And I think that is the key ingredient to an internships experience is most of them, including some of the people probably listening right now have no idea what the hell culture is. They, it's not kale chips and smoothies. I say that all the time and it's kind of an ongoing joke. It's, it's so much more than that. And what, and what that definition is, I think is what's rubbing off on these young people where now they're culturally curious. They're like, why is that place better than that place? Well, it's not the work. I mean, that's, that's a given work's gotta be good. It's other things. It's that stuff. Yeah. yeah, no, and I've noticed that again. Paulo, I think, has built a great foundation, but bringing in a few people, particularly you know this woman Carolyn, who's in our San Francisco office, and it's night and day in terms of what she's done, right? And you know he's added a few people to his team like that, and someone like Trip Hosmer who's been here for a while, and it makes such a difference. The good and bad of doing a fun conversation like this as time goes quickly, and I know we had a whole bunch of other questions. I do want to ask one more, and it's going to be two part. I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, but I'll let you think about it first. So it was this question on what are the next steps for the world's just world's greatest internship? No, the um, I let you answer that. And then I would love this since it's in year two, if there was one thing you could change or suggest about the internship, knowing that it's early days and knowing that you're teeing up sort of what's next. I'd love for you to think about that. And after Trevor gives us his answer, then we'll get your take. Yeah, I'll do it pretty quick. I think uh, the, the purpose of WGI has always been about building a community. So the first sort of primary thing right now is how can we constantly be giving value to a community, which then will ultimately grow this community. And, you know, when we looked at all the applications, some of the thoughtfulness that went into some of those, you know, young people's answers that content is, you know, gold for a lot of young people just to know how, how everyone, you're not alone in your thinking or you have similar sort of thoughts. So building community is going to be truly important. Um, what this could be is we see a new classification of education. We see this collaboration, like, like Paulo has said, as a way to move impact kind of initiatives forward. Um, I think that's great. With the advent of what's happening with online education in schools and, and master's class and a bunch of other brands that are coming out uh, in the collegiate space and things like that, there's an ongoing community that we want to build that we can then curate and facilitate a lot of more global sort of digitalization of some of these lessons and some of these thoughts. Um, I also think that it's going to be an amazing talent pool. Um, you know, when we have five, 6,000 people applying, and you have 10% of those that are just the most amazing young creatives from all over the, the uh, world, actually, um, over 22 countries, um, you, you, start to, you start to see that, that other agencies can now tap into this talent, right? And they may have that sort of level of uh, a vision where they're not necessarily putting out their own calls for talent you can tap into a network like WGI. And so those are just a few things that we're working on. But the first thing is build community based on value and how much value can we bring them. Um, and that's that's sort of the next steps. Great. Well, and hopefully this podcast is one of the ways we're going to do that, right? So to the question of obviously you're two years in and there's still lots that you can add to and fix, what's one thing you'd love to see evolve or change with the program? 
Um, I think it's an evolve. I don't think it's a change because it's, you know, again, I think we're, everybody's still in the kitchen right now. Um, but I do think that if you, if you kind of look at what the potential is for this, right, uh, it's not just experience, it's the experiment. And so the experiment part of this is something that if we can hone in on what is it we're solving and how do we create that impact and then reverse engineer that back into a potential even curriculum that you put into schools, that this is part of their their kind of graduation process where it's no longer just about getting the internship at that one agency for that one summer. It's actually going into the program that allows you to go from agency to agency to agency over six months, almost as kind of like being in the, in the minors before you get into the majors. So you actually build it into a part of the growth process, but it really does get you into a different um, mindset of what, of what kind of leaving school or being a part of that graduation process actually looks like. So, to me, it's all it's all potential than it is in anything else. Well, and we've seen that we are partnering yeah. with Syracuse, right, with the um, Newhouse School on the PR side. And we've created the Center for Social Commerce, and I think it's had that exact Exa- impact. Exactly the same thing. And would love to see that happening, particularly on the creative side. Um, well, this is where we get into the fun. Back to the fun part. Not that that all wasn't fun. And this is a question I like to ask everyone, and I think I've asked almost all of my guests this, and that is. Uh, imagine you're stranded on a deserted island. You could take one album with you, ideally not a greatest hits. Which album would you take and why? And since you're both pretty creative dudes, I'm very interested to uh, hear your answers. Paula, why don't we start with you? Uh, I'm going to go with... Um, uh Okay, I'm just gonna go Joshua Tree. Uh, that sounds I, I, about right. Yeah, well, it's either that or un, you know, Unforgettable Fire. So we're gonna go Joshua Tree today, just because I'm in that Joshua Tree kind of mode. And it was one of the best concerts, and I was with you, Aaron, when we saw that. It, uh, it was amazing. Um, and what was the second question? Oh, Asked the second got one yet. So we're gonna let uh, Trevor answer, and then All we'll right. get back to that one. Uh, I, I think that I, I, too much context. Sitting on a deserted island, listening to the same album. I need something that you know I can comb through so it would probably be something that you know like Tupac you know the double double disc where I could you know pretty much sit there and dissect every word and and be entertained for a very long time with something like that you know well you've hit the nail on the head and I do understand you crowdsourced a little bit or at least bounced some ideas around but it is one where you know it's one of the harder questions people have to answer and I tell them at the end of the day it's actually not really even the answer it's what your thought process was and how you go through it so I like that you dissected it that way Second part of the question that Paolo knew about, but I hadn't asked yet, which is, um, since I know you like wine and we've spent a lot of time, you know, over wine and I know that we met, you know, Mitch and bumped into you at Battery at the bar. So you like that. But if you could take a bottle with you to this deserted island, I don't give most people this choice. So this is special. What would you take and why? Uh, again, dude, that's worse. That's, that's harder than the album for me, but, um, just because I had it a couple of weeks ago, we're going to go with the Schaefer Hillside Cabernet, uh, 2014 to be exact, but now I sound like a wine bleep, okay. a wine bleep. <laughs> uh, so we'll keep it at that. The only sad thing is, is like having to break the uh, top of the bottle off and drink it out of the bottle versus in a nice, uh, you know, Riedel glass. No decanting, right? Trevor, no. how about you? Uh, yeah, so so my, mine's really boring. I'm right now going through a period, so if I was on a deserted island at this particular moment, I'm living the mocktail life right now. Um, so I would definitely just go with, uh, you know, if it, if it came, I would substitute bottle for six-pack, and it would probably be some fizzy water like a LaCroix, right? And it would probably be the, you know, the Pomple Moose 
flavor. So how generic do I sound? Or, and yeah. as you'll see, how, maybe how 2017, right? In one yeah. of the pictures I took, yeah. he is actually drinking a can of Pumple yeah, yeah. uh, LaCroix as we speak. So he is it was here. truly living the dream. Mocktail life. Mocktail life. Uh, well, anyway, gents, this is a lot of fun. This is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O, host of the What to Know podcast show. I've uh, just had the pleasure of speaking with Paulo Simas, Chief Creative Officer here at W2O, and Trevor Hubbard, who is the CEO and ECD at Butcher Shop, also the founder of WGI. And so thank you both. It's uh, been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thanks, Aaron. Want more episodes of What to Know? We post a new episode every Thursday. Subscribe on iTunes, the podcast app, the Stitcher app, or Spotify, and view the podcast page at w2ogroup.com slash what to know.